we've seen over the last decade a complete shift from just this niche type of thing that the do-gooders were in to now, you know, people see that this is critical. This is important. It's important for survival for some companies. It's also good business. Did you know that the food industry creates more greenhouse gases than the entire transportation sector? Welcome back to The 2%, a podcast highlighting women who are breaking barriers and building the businesses of the future. Today's episode features a future-minded founder, physicist Lisa Dyson, who's going to discuss crafting the world's first carbon-negative air-based meat alternative with her company, Air Protein. That's right. In the near future, the juicy burger you bite into may be created from thin air. Tune in to hear the science, mission, and strategy behind air protein, plus Lisa's thoughts on the broader macro environment surrounding sustainability. Let's get started. Hi, Lisa. Great to have you on here today. Um, Where are we finding you? I am in Berkeley, California. Oh, nice. How's the weather? Oh, it's just another great day in California. <laughs> <laughs> Rainy Monday in New York. Um, so definitely a little jealous. So I guess, you know, to to get things started, would love to maybe take it back to um, the early days of of your career. How How did you first get into STEM? Well, I've just always loved mathematics Um, from a child. You know, I just always did. My my cousin was a rocket engineer and I loved, she would come home from school even when she was studying engineering and I just see all the stuff she was working on and I was fascinated by it. Um, And she actually, I asked her, I said, I love math. What should I do? She said, you should be an engineer. Of course, that's what she was. Um, But uh, ultimately I continued to study math in college um, because I knew that I wanted to go into something else, but I didn't know what, and I knew math was the foundation of science and, and engineering. And so ultimately I ended up in physics. Awesome. And um, so, you know, obviously physics has the, um, the elements of both math and science. Um, I'm curious what then sparked your interest and passion for climate change? Oh yeah, that was that was a long journey to get there. So <laughs> I I my my well what immediately happened to cause that was in 2005, I was one of the many people who went to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina hit to help rebuild the city there and just just coming up close and personal with the impacts of a of a weather event, the huge devastation that we saw there. People lost their lives, they lost their loved ones, they lost their shelter. They were basically refugees looking for a place to live. And just um, for me, knowing that climate scientists have been telling us that climate change will lead to more intense weather events that will be more frequent, it just yeah. became real that that affects people's lives immediately when those things happen. And so ultimately I wanted to be a part of the solution and my background, you know, in science and technology, my co-founder, his background was in science and technology. You know, we believe that science was a part of the answer uh, and started looking for solutions. And that's really what led us to where we are today. And what was your journey prior to founding Air Protein in terms of just career-wise? 
Yes. Well, so I, my, you know, my PhD is in physics. So I, I did research as a postdoc. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've done research in a bunch of different types of lab, labs, not just physics, um, yeah. bioenergy, et cetera. Uh, and I, uh, even in neuroscience lab, I, I ultimately, my dad was actually an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. so I grew up in an entrepreneurial household where I got to see him start businesses and see the highs and lows of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, at some point, he was the president of a chain of 55 hair salons. And so mm-hmm. I really did get to see the highs and lows. And, sure. and so that caused me to be really interested in the business world. And after I got my degree, I actually went to the Boston Consulting Group uh, mm-hmm. to really immerse myself in uh, trying to understand what does it take to build a business, to operate a business, to help executives solve their business problems. Uh, so that was a key part of my background as well. So there's science, technology, there's research. And, um, you know, at some point as well, I was a part of a, a, a an election campaign and kind of built, uh, organized volunteers uh, into the, you know, it was actually online organization that ended up leading to some large effort as a result of that. So that mm-hmm. really was kind of a little bit of entrepreneurship kind of uh, that I tasted at that point. Um, so yeah, those are, those are some of the things that I was involved in before starting Coverti first and then Air Protein with John. Got it. got it. Got it. And so what was it like to transition from, um, you know, coming from the more academic world as a physicist to CEO? Um, I'm curious, you know, what were the um, kind of strengths and maybe what were some of the challenges um, that you faced, you know, in your first entrepreneurial venture? Yeah, I would say that, you know, BCG is probably what prepared me most for um, trying to take my scientific kind of method that I learned and applying it to business problems. And in this case, we were, you know, starting a business. So there's all kinds of things that you have to face when you're starting a business, but just applying that, the scientific method is really what the BCG taught me that that could be a you know, used outside of just science, uh, mm-hmm. data-driven, you have an hypothesis and then you tested that, that hypothesis and you update that based on um, the data that you gather, et cetera. Um, so starting a company though, you know, what, living in an entrepreneurial household that actually prepared me in some ways for it, but not fully, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, just, but it, but one of the things that I loved about the process was early on, just so many people rallied around what John Reed and I were trying to do kind of the, the vision that we had and the technology that we wanted to develop. Uh, and it was actually based on work done by NASA during the space program where they were mm. looking at how to, um, feed astronauts on long space journeys. Uh, and so we were, we were leveraging some of their concepts and then turning it into something that was commercializable that could then uh, help us create products in a much more sustainable way. So so one of the things that I loved in starting a company, just being in Silicon Valley probably is an integral part of it. There were just so mm-hmm. many people that were willing to, to help, to be a part of it, to advise us. And they had so many different expertise, fields of expertise that we were able to leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I really was very appreciative to experience. Mm-hmm. And how would you, um, you know, for our listeners who aren't familiar, how would you describe um, your company, Air Protein? What's the mission behind it? Yeah, well, Air Protein is on a mission to accelerate the transition to rainforest-friendly and climate-friendly meat. Um, mm-hmm. So the meat 
industry is one of the largest emitters of greenhouse gases. So food as a whole actually emits more greenhouse gases than the entire transportation sector. So that's more than all of our planes, trains, cars, and trucks combined. And meat is the biggest culprit. And so that not only leads to climate change, but it also, uh, you know, to feed these animals, there's huge mm -hmm. deforestation issues as well. Meat is, you know, biggest culprit for deforestation. Uh, and so we want to transition to a different way of making meat. Today, it takes two years to make a steak with the current technology, that technology, of course, being a cow. Uh, mm -hmm. And it takes two years to water that cow, grow that cow. 2019 saw record fires in Brazil to make room for cattle grazing. It's a hugely inefficient process that ultimately is pretty destructive from the environmental standpoint. And sure. so we are defining meat in a new way. We're defining it by the experience that you have when you sit down and you bite into that juicy steak or that you know chicken breast. And so we're creating uh, you know products that are very similar and that give you that experience, but it does it in a way that only takes hours to days uh, and uses a fraction of the resources. In fact, it's a carbon negative process wow. and it, it um, you know, uses no arable land whatsoever to make the protein and very minimal water utilization. So that's what we're doing. Incredible. And um, can you tell us a little bit about the science behind it? I know, you know, obviously you have Impossible Burger and, um, you know, a bunch of other um, substitutes, which, um, you know, for better or worse, definitely have a lot of um, artificial um, uh, ingredients. Um, so I'm curious, you know, how have you been able to develop this? Yeah, we start at the core. We start with the basis of what this food is made out of, which is protein. And we are making protein in a new way using natural cultures. Think of how you make yogurt today. Mm -hmm. That's Our process is very similar to that, similar to making yogurt, making cheese, uh, and you know, using that nature's cultures. Uh, and the difference is that we um, feed those cultures elements of the air. And that one difference is the thing that has the huge impact because that makes it a carbon negative process. Mm -hmm. uh, and it allows us to, to grow protein in a way that uses no arable land whatsoever. So, so it's, it's that yogurt type of process, but mm -hmm. with a twist. Uh, and then once we have our, our protein flour, our air protein flour, then we apply culinary techniques like temperature, you know, just heating it. Mm -hmm. Think of going from your um, wheat flour in your kitchen to pasta. You just apply culinary techniques to create that that strong, that texture, as it were. So similarly, sure. we apply culinary techniques to create textures that give you the same experience that you get when you bite into a juicy steak or a chicken breast. Wow, incredible. I, um, you know, I'm Indian and I, I definitely grew up um, with my mom making, you know, yogurt at home. So uh, very familiar with that, uh, you know, that, that, um, that methodology. So, you know, the, the idea of growing food from CO2 dates back to NASA, as you mentioned. Um, I'm curious, how did you first kind of get involved in this and then ultimately think about transferring that technology um, beyond, you know, uh, what, you, what you saw at NASA? Well, actually, when they were studying this, they were trying to solve a very different type of problem. Mm -hmm. And that problem was how do you feed astronauts on a long space journey? There's mm -hmm. no Costco along the way, <laughs> pick up any food or, you know, Chipotle. So they had to figure out, or they were thinking, I mean, we haven't been to Mars yet as humans. So this hasn't, this, this was never commercialized. This was actually put on the shelf by NASA. But at the time during the space program in the 60s and 70s, that's really what they were trying to, trying to figure out. And so if you're trying to go to Mars or a distant planet, you have to figure out how to grow food. You have to figure out how to grow it efficiently and fast 
using minimal space, minimal resources. So there, the concepts were exactly the concepts that we need to apply today as we're going to get to 10 billion people by 2050. And the current way that we grow food uses so much land and is a huge emitter of greenhouse gases. We have to think about those same types of concepts. So, so we saw what they were working on and just how they were figuring out how to do things very efficiently using minimal resources. And we saw that as a way to, you know, could we, the question was, could we take their concepts and actually create something that we can commercialize here on earth to efficiently produce, um, you know, everyday products. Amazing. And um, in terms of the the product offering that Air Protein is, is working on, you know, today, um, where, where are you at in the product development? Well, what doesn't exist in large volumes in the world today is protein made from air. So mm -hmm. we are focused on scaling up our air protein production process. So mm -hmm. that's the core thing, our air farms, as it were. Um, mm -hmm. so we're focused on scaling those up. And as we scale those up, then we'll come into the marketplace and we'll launch into the marketplace. Uh, so that's really the focus of the company at this point. And um, launching directly to, for consumers, restaurants, um, you know, institutions. How are you thinking about that? Yes, we are focused on bringing our story directly to consumers, bringing oh, a story of making meat in a whole new way that doesn't rely on arable land, that doesn't emit a massive amount of greenhouse gases. As I mentioned before, that that technology we use today to make a steak, the cow <laughs> has the same greenhouse gas footprint as a car. So when you get that steak on a the plate, there's so many greenhouse gases that's been, you know, such a large volume of greenhouse gases that's been emitted, whereas by contrast, we have a carbon negative process, process from cradle to gate. Um, so we're going directly to consumers with our message. Consumers are looking for uh, more environmentally friendly products. They're looking for companies that are transparent about how they do things and that do things in a good way. And we believe that we can stand out very distinctively with our, you know, the world's first carbon negative meats, uh, as well as being able to make, make meat from air. And one of the things um, that that you shared is that air protein could also potentially eliminate the need for palm oil. I personally don't know that much about palm oil, um, but would love to hear from you, you know, why is this exciting? And, and more importantly, what are the implications of this? Well, the company that, that John Reed, Dr. John Reed and I started first, Converti, they're actually mm -hmm. working on palm oil. Oh. Uh, and so they are working on a way to make palm oil, again, that uses zero arable land. Un unfortunately, you know, palm oil is in so many of our consumer good products and leads to deforestation, much like the meat industry does. And so similarly, Converti is really focused on solutions that have a low, you know, that are carbon negative ways of producing, but also, um, address all these other issues, several of these other issues, such as deforestation. So um, what Coverti's done is made a palm oil replacement um, from elements of the air. Uh, mm. And so that's something that, that they're working on. And then to the extent that it's related to, you know, making ingredients related to meat, that's what mm -hmm. uh, air protein is really focused on. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and I'm assuming the palm oil um, product will also be available directly to consumers. Uh, Converti has more of a B2B business model. Oh, B2B. And so okay, working great. directly with companies, helping them address their supply chain pain points, okay. um, whether it's getting, you know, right now, palm oil is a huge supply chain pain point because Indonesia just shut down palm oil exports. Uh, okay. So that's kind of an example of a type of thing that Converti is focused on addressing directly with corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Air Protein, Converti created Air Protein as a way of creating a brand going directly to consumers with specific products. Got it. 
And so when you think about, you know, the timeline, the time frame, I should say, for air protein to become available, you know, to consumers like like our listeners and, and myself, um, what does that look like? And what do you think the, the challenges you'll, you may have to face, you know, to, to get this product to market? Well, the main challenge, so, you know, we've, we've checked the, the scientific boxes, as it were, and the main challenge is really scaling up. Uh, and that's really what we're hyper-focused on right now, scaling up this uh, new way of, of making uh, protein. Uh, and, you know, we have a great team that's working on the different products that we can bring to you. So, you know, chicken is what we started with in 2019. We made the world's first air-based chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we've we've gone on to make seafood products. Uh-huh. And, you know, we have, you can see on our website, our air scallops, our air halibut, mm-hmm. uh, and we have beef and pork in the development pipeline. So we're looking forward to producing um, and bringing to consumers these these products that they that remind them of what they know and love, all the different meat forms that they know and love. And I have to ask you, um, you know, out of all all the products in in the pipeline and that you've developed, what is your personal favorite? Well, um, my <laughs> personal favorite. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. I'm actually not the target audience for this. I'm not the target market. <laughs> Interesting. Um, my husband is oh. um, because I'm a vegetarian, uh, but my husband is an avid meat eater. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, making sure he's happy is what's important. And he's had our chicken and he liked it. So that's mm-hmm. important. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, um, in terms of you know bringing a consumer brand to market, um, what what was your strategy or thinking around how to build this brand and create the messaging that um, would ultimately be you know pretty important for for success? What we what we really want to communicate to consumers is that we can deliver the first of all the taste that they're mm-hmm. looking for. That's number one. If it doesn't taste good, then it, nothing else matters. Uh, but we want to do it in a way that's actually nutritious. We want to bring mm-hmm. it, bring, um, deliver nutritional outcomes with, with our products. Um, and, you know, sustainability is really kind of the core foundation for why air protein exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, communicating to consumers that this is the way to make that environmental choice. I mean, as we know, this new category of meat eaters, flexitarians, has emerged and is growing where people are having meatless Mondays, et cetera. And it's usually to um, have a positive impact on the environment or uh, for nutritious reasons, for health reasons. And so we want to be able to com- communicate directly to those consumers that we're presenting, that we're creating something that's super sustainable, that meet this, you know, really unparalleled sustainability. If you look at the carbon negative aspect of what we're doing, the low, the no arable land required whatsoever, and the low water utilization, then it's actually the most sustainable way to make protein. And so really delivering that message to consumers, plus the fact that it's really nutritious. And as I said before, it's meat eaters that we're targeting. It's those that actually love and crave meat, but want to make that more environmentally friendly choice. So the taste, so delivering the meaty taste that you're looking for is really what's important as well. And what is your long-term vision um, for air protein? You know, 10 years from now, where, where would you want to be? Well, our goal is to accelerate the transition to of the world to rainforest friendly and, and climate friendly meat. And so in order to do that, we just have to grow and expand as fast as we can. And of course, there's just sort of the laws of physics that uh, inhibit us from just growing faster than we want to. Um, mm-hmm. So within those those laws of just how long it takes to get an, you know, an air farm, as it were, up and running, you know, we just want to bring this to, you know, 
the world essentially. They yeah. want to grow beyond the U.S. and you know people eat all kind of meats and different types of meats in different parts of the world. Uh, so that's really what we're trying to do: just continue to grow and continue to provide. Uh, or start providing, of course, because we're not in market yet, but and then continue to provide really high quality, high, uh, highly nutritious and very tasty uh, products to people. And we want to do that in a way that's economically attractive so that we can yeah. reach the masses and so people can have access to uh, nutrition, great nutrition all over. And I can imagine, um, particularly for for people in kind of underdeveloped countries, you know, this potentially could be another um, food source, you know, later later down the line as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And a food source as well as a new way of, of producing a new type of agriculture that mm -hmm. can employ lots of people as well uh, mm -hmm. in a very efficient way of, of producing the food of tomorrow. Yeah. Awesome. So last year, I know you raised a very large Series A. Congratulations on that. Barclays, Google Ventures, etc. Um, I'm curious, you know, what was that fundraising process like? Um, and what was kind of the general feedback um, from the investor community? Yeah, no, it was it was um, quite quite unique. <laughs> we were raising during COVID, and what actually happened while we were raising was the supply chains collapsed, and then people began to see how important it was to to be able to produce things locally, to be able to produce things efficiently, um, to have alternative ways of of making meat. You know, the meat supply chain in particular. You know, people got to see firsthand as many. Uh, animals were euthanized mm -hmm. simply because they couldn't get through the supply chain. And these animals had been growing for, for you know, months or years, depending on what the animal was. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, having better supply chains became a focus. And, you know, that, that was something that was an important part of our conversations that we had with the many investors. And one thing about fundraising in COVID as well is that it allowed me to travel the world um, yeah. in the comfort of my home office. And so we got term sheets from all over the world. So that was, that was unexpected and, and exciting. Yeah. Um, and then happily, we landed with ADM as our partner. And we, we, they're such a wonderful investor, Barclays as well, Google Ventures, GV, formerly Google mm -hmm. Ventures, uh, Plum Alley, and a bunch of other uh, people. So uh, it was a great opportunity to get to know a lot of great people and investors mm -hmm. and expand our network to include um, those that can help us bring our vision to reality. Mm -hmm. And as you were thinking about, um, you know, kind of what you were looking for in investors, um, you know, what were the key attributes? Well, number one, they had to be mission aligned. That was really important. Uh, and, and, in our board meetings, we talk about sustainability. They they say, where's where's the life cycle assessment? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's really important and that's really great. You know, as well as our our goal to make sure that we're a very diverse organization. We we made a strong attempt to diversify our cap table and was very successful, but very supported by the board. There's many things that are important to us as a company as we build this organization. And just to have a board that was mission aligned overall was really important. And then beyond that, boards, uh, you know, uh, investors that can help us as we grow, that can mm -hmm. give us access to potential partners, potential customers, uh, follow on investors. And, you know, happily, we have a really solid group of investors and a solid board that we've assembled uh, as a result of our financing. And um, when you when you kind of think about the um, the competition, you know what what have you seen in terms of other entrants? Um, you know anyone using the same type of technology that you are um, curious about that? 
Yeah. In the alternative meat space, there's been a number of companies that have emerged really following the success of Beyond and Impossible early on in this this area. And, you know, we definitely stand on the shoulders of giants always. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely trailblazers out there. And so there's been a number of companies that have emerged and we support the companies that are trying to have an impact, a positive impact in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we stand and what we bring is this, this unit of innovation that allows us to make the core ingredient, the protein, um, with different functional properties. And that's important, like oil holding capacity, water holding capacity. These are technical details that are important when you're trying to make different forms of meat. And we're really trying to attack the taste piece. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really something that, you know, is is something that's a work in progress, I'd say, in the industry where we're, we're focused on being able to deliver something unique into the marketplace so that we can really achieve the taste criteria that consumers are looking for. And this is a relatively new field. I mean, it's not the veggie burgers of old that I used to eat and I still like <laughs> it's what you know would have please an actual meat eater you know yeah uh, and so it's a whole new field that's really emerging and growing fast and we're happy to be one of the ones that are in there that's in this field and we're happy to be the world's first uh, air-based meat company and the world's first carbon negative meat company uh, and we're we're the first we want there to be more carbon negative you know products out there so we want that to, to not just be yeah, um, you know, new novel thing. We wanted that to continue to grow. And how have you seen um, kind of the broader macro environment and interest evolve um, around the topic of sustainability over time? Yeah, when when myself and and John Reed and the early uh, employees and advisors of Coverti started this, being you know sustainability and climate and those things were were considered to be philanthropic. Uh, and it was just sort of like something you do that's additive and that's nonprofit and all those other things. And mm-hmm. so, and what we see now that we're in a very different place where we have large funds, large private equity funds that are raising mm-hmm. billion dollar climate focused funds. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we're in a place where, where, where businesses, investor businesses are, are saying we're going to be net zero by X date. And many of them are just continuously making those claims yeah. uh, because consumers want that because yeah. it's important for the environment. Uh, and investors know that this is good for business. It's not just good for, it is good for the planet and it's good yeah. for business. And so we've seen over the last decade, a complete shift from just this niche uh, type of thing that the do-gooders were in to yeah. now, you know, people see that this is critical. This is important. It's important for survival for some companies. Sure. And it's also good business as well. Right. Yeah. No, that's great to hear. Um, and long overdue. <laughs> exactly. I agree. Um, so curious, you know, given where you sit, are there any um, trends as it relates to sustainability, particularly through the lens of, you know, kind of the consumer that you're excited about any companies or founders, um, you know, that you've met that, that you, um, think, you know, have the potential to be successful. Yeah. What I'm excited about are these large companies that are saying we're going to do things more sustainably and they're actually investing in it. So yeah. before maybe they'd say it, but not invest in it. And now we're seeing the investments, whether it's mm-hmm. being net zero or whatever other sustainability things that they're looking at, I'm excited because of that movement. And so that yeah. enables the startups, that enables the entrepreneurs to go create a solution that the big company can acquire or they can yeah. partner with those companies to scale. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the investors then emerge because now they know there's 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 takers, there's off takers of the product. Yeah. Um, So that's what I'm excited by. And that movement is a result of consumers, consumers wanting uh, 
you know, making those choices for things to be more sustainable. And as a result, companies wanting to be those, the ones that are seen to be more sustainable and for consumers to make those choices. No, that's, that's great to hear. Um, so, you know, we, we definitely have quite a few um, female founders listening in um, and, and I'm sure, you know, some, some great nuggets of, of wisdom. Um, would love to hear any advice that you have, um, you know, specifically for, for founders that are kind of building in this space. So it's, it's just do it. It's the first thing I say, <laughs> and it's going to be hard. <laughs> uh, and just surround yourself with advocates, with people mm -hmm. who support you, people who will, who won't judge you. They will, you, you can come to them with whatever you're going through and they'll honest, they'll hear you and they'll give you their honest feedback and their suggestions. They'll open up their network to you if you're looking for resources or people or advice or what, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. what's important is the network that you surround yourself with is what I'd say. Uh, and just know that it's, it's going to probably be a long journey. Yeah, that's great. Um, so the two percent is is really focused on highlighting stories of of people who are working to improve the stats around um, investing in diverse founders. Um, you know the and female founders fund is is obviously um, very very much committed to that. From your point of view, what do you think it's going to take really to get to to parity um, in this field? What will it take? Um, well, just, you know, it just takes, it takes action. That's, it's, it, maybe it's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> it takes action and it takes action by, you know, as many people as possible. And, and what I'll say is that in our case, you know, we decided to diversify our cap table. That's, that was a decision that we made. And then we went out and we found those that could help us diversify. And so we made, you know, the opportunity available for, for a broad group of people and investor groups to participate in the upside of what we're building at AeroProtein. And it was just, it was more that choice yeah. that was made. One of my um, board members, James White, who's really my partner, one of my key partners in building AeroProtein, former CEO of Jamba Juice. He just wrote a book called Anti-Racist Leadership, by the way, which oh, I'll yeah. plug here. And, yeah. you know, it's just all about just doing it. It's about making, it's about the intention yeah. and then making it happen and surrounding yourself by the people that will be supportive of that uh, as yeah. well. Uh, and we have a great, a really supportive board that, that um, has been instrumental in us helping us build uh, AeroProtein. So I would say that that same model could be applied anywhere. It could be applied in investment uh, and beyond. Uh, just yeah. have the intention and then just do it. <laughs> Amazing. Too simple? <laughs> no, I love that. It, that's uh, ultimately what it comes down to is, you know, make it a priority and, and then just do it. Yeah. One of my uh, investors, you know, runs a large public company and, and he just made it tied to the uh, bonuses and the, mm. the compensation of his leaders. You know, yeah. they just had to hit certain numbers and they hit them surprisingly within a year or, you know, wow. a couple of years, I guess it's, it's going to take a couple of years to get there, but the numbers yeah. like increase dramatically in that first year, just from yeah. tying it to their compensation. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Um, okay. Well, we're going to move into our lightning round um, and think of this as, you know, a set of questions, whatever comes to mind first, um, you know, feel free, feel free to answer. Um, so we're going to start with, when did you first discover your entrepreneurial spirit? Actually, when I was at MIT, that was, that was when I, because it just there, there were so many people that were starting businesses, me and a colleague of mine that was there as well, another grad student, we had so many ideas together. 
And one of them, one of his ideas, it actually ended up getting, we ended up getting Microsoft. He got Microsoft money to, to build it. Yeah. And I was a part of the team building it with them. Uh, I'm sorry, this was the lightning round, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, no worries. No worries. <laughs> but one thing that I'll say was being in an environment that so supported and nurtured um, building companies and entrepreneurship was, was and, and I and I love that, being in that yeah. environment. So that was really when I first realized that there was a little entrepreneur in me trying to get out. What gets you out of bed every morning? My focus at this point is to try to have an impact on on the the planet, essentially, on impact on the world and specifically the planet. So that's I'm motivated by the team that mm-hmm. we have at Air Protein and the team at Coverti. I'm multiplied mm-hmm. by those by those teams and the work that they're doing. How would you describe your leadership style? Uh, at BCG, they have a culture of you know bringing on people that are comfortable with ambiguity. And so I, I assume everybody around me is comfortable with ambiguity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so I, I give them a lot of leeway to, to do things. And, and, you know, my, my goal is that people just grab onto the challenges that are ahead of them and run with the opportunity to find solutions and then let me know when they need help. Anything that you would like to plug or announce? Um, we're hiring. At Air Protein and Shiverty, <laughs> but we're hiring. Uh, so would love, you know, great people in everything from food uh, technologists to, you know, engineers and beyond. Fantastic. And where can our listeners find you online? LinkedIn or airprotein.com, of course. Perfect. <laughs> Awesome. Well, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, loved hearing, you know, everything about the the backstory and the mission and super excited to, to try out the product myself. Awesome. Really wonderful being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The 2% for today's episode featuring Lisa Dyson, founder and CEO of Air Protein. I'm so excited about the potential and unparalleled sustainability of this company, and I personally can't wait to try my first air-based burger as soon as Air Protein launches to the public. Thanks again, and see you next time. Stay in touch with us on Instagram at Female Founders Fund and on Twitter at FQVC. And for those of you building the next billion-dollar businesses, we'd love to hear from you. Send all pitch decks to pitches at femalefounderspund.com, and we'll be in touch. And finally, if you're interested in working at one of our 45-plus female-founded startups, explore our job opportunities at jobs.femalefoundersfund.com. Make sure to subscribe to The 2% on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listing. And stay tuned for our next episode with powerful women founding and funding the future. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. Until next time, I'm Anu Dougal, and this has been The 2%.